Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 through 12. Um, as Pastor Bo mentioned, um, you know that this past week so many things have happened, not only with the coronavirus, but Probably the thing that hit the news so often or kind of came up often in our news feeds or social media was the passing of Kobe Bryant, his daughter Gigi, and then seven other people were on the helicopter. Who It was a complete tragedy. It was so sad to actually see all this and to be able to read up on some of the stuff that was going on. And I don't know about you, and some of you don't even care, like, Kobe, what happened? Kobe beef? No. Uh, let's let's just, if you don't know what's going on, then I, I don't know what more to say to you. Just read the news at least once a week. But I remember like the first reaction that a lot of people felt, and which I felt too, was kind of like a shock. And then it kind of turns into like a disbelief, like, no, that can't be. And then all of a sudden it starts hitting you and you realize that this person, and I was thinking to myself, I don't even know him. He's not even my friend. But I really took it like, wow. And what I was reflecting on this week was, I think it was just identifying certain aspects that he is engaged in or he was doing, as well as his heart of some of the things that he invested in. And I think because of that, I think it kind of, put me in a situation where I began to think, wow, what would have happened? What would it be like if like something like that happened to me or to anyone else that I loved? And I, that's when I began to feel a little bit more of that sadness that was going on. And some of you know, many of the basketball players, uh, different people, they were all sharing some of their disbelief and as well as some of the funny stories and just being able to m- remember him in a positive way, and uh, I mean, it was, it was interesting because there were some people who were literally crying even as they were sharing how they were feeling, and so uh, that kind of moved me as well, realizing that, wow, I don't know, you know, they were enemies on the court, but they were actually friends outside of basketball, and I think that really made me think about the fragility of life, how fragile it is, that you just don't know. He was going to a basketball game, or he was with his daughter, as some of you know, that she was actually going to be um, going off to college uh, in, when is it, in five years from that time, and she had a lot of potential. She was definitely set on playing in the WNBA, the Women's League. But all we can say is that it was just such a tragic thing. And, I, and, and I, as I was reading up on some of the different news clips and some things about his life, I think that the part that really got to me once again, is that it wasn't so much his basketball accomplishments. In fact, it was the next chapter of his life. And there's a pastor friend that I know that he uh, actually spent some time with him as he helped do some training for their leadership. And I just realized, man, uh, Kobe, outside of basketball, he was really into mentoring and training and investing in the next generation. And as I was thinking about all this, I realized that, wow, he was also, the part that really got me, he was a a family guy. As you know, he was very close to his daughters. 
and just loved on his family and everything that was happening. And I think that was the point that I realized, wow, like, can you imagine? That was the last thing on their mind as they were in this helicopter. And I think the first thing that comes to a lot of our minds is why. Why does stuff like this happen? Why did it happen to him? I mean, someone in death row, then, hey, he's going to die anyway, you know? So, but someone like this who's making an impact, doing some great things, why? And the reality is that all of us in this room, we're going to face some difficulties. Some of us are going to face some of the biggest hardships that I don't, I can't even imagine some of the things that some of you are going to be facing. Some of us are going to be facing in our lives. And the question I have for you is this. Are you prepared for it? Are you ready for some of those things that will happen? Because we live in a fallen world. And there are things outside of our control. And things are going to happen. And the question is, are we prepared? Are we ready? Uh, I want to show you this quick video of one of, there's a worship leader who's actually sharing the story of the song, It Is Well With My Soul. How many of you know that song? The hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a beautiful hymn. And some of you know the story behind that hymn and why it was written. But just in case some of you don't, I think this description and this worship leader is trying to explain of how this song came into being. And I want you to listen to the story and the person who wrote it and why he wrote it. And then after we get that little bit of background, then I want to come back and share a little bit more on this. So let's, let's watch this together, shall we? What a powerful story and powerful words. As some of you know, it says this, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well with my soul. It is well. It is well with my soul. And this is my hope and prayer for all of us as a church and for every single one of you in this room is that we will be able to respond in a manner no matter what is happening around us, but we will respond in a manner that will glorify God and to help people to see that He is our ultimate and most supreme one that we worship and that we love. And this is the reason why we're starting this series in First Peter called Nevertheless. The American Heritage Dictionary defines nevertheless as in spite of that, or nonetheless, or however. And some of you know that we've been trying to teach that about like, but God. Like this and this, but God. And that's the kind of spirit that I want us to have in our church, that no matter what happens to us, nevertheless, we'll still love Jesus. Nevertheless, we will still love people. And so 
if you just look up here and, and you, you could fill in the blank with whatever it is that you want to fill in there. So it could be like, I'm going through, you fill in the blank, whatever it is that you're going through right now. But nevertheless, I will still worship Jesus. I will still trust in Him. Or you could say, I feel afraid or fearful, discouraged. Because a lot of things are happening in your lives. Things with at home. Things at work. Relationally with other people around you. And with the situation that's happening all over the world. There's so many things that happened in this past week. But I hope that all of us can say, nevertheless, God is still good. Can I get a good amen to that? Nevertheless, God is still in control. Nevertheless, that God is going to work out all things for His glory. So I want all of us to be prepared for future difficulties, to gain perspective in any situation you're going to be facing, and to have praise on your lips for the supremacy of Christ. The reason why this was fueled in my heart was because I remember one time I was reading something, and they said, this person was writing, they said, you cannot and should not teach theology in the hospital room when somebody's going through a tragedy. Because you as a pastor, what you're supposed to do is just to be at the hospital, hold their hands, cry with them. Because the last thing they want to hear is some kind of sermon or some kind of theological insight. So what this author was encouraging people who are reading this article was simply this. Prepare your people well. So when tragedy hits, all you have to do is hold their hands and cry with them because they understand theologically the framework in which they need to go through what they're going through. So that is the thing that convicted me. And I asked myself, have we prepared our church? This is way before the protest. This is way before the coronavirus. The question was, have we prepared our church? to be ready for anything in this world. Right now, there's a, some level of freedom to worship, but there might come a time where there will be persecution and we cannot gather like this. Are you willing to lay down your life for the gospel? Even this past week, a Nigerian pastor was captured by Boko Haram. His head, he, he, was, he was beheaded because he would not deny Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord forbid, that we would ever have to go through anything like that. But if we did, can you say, nevertheless? So I want to start off and cover these 12 verses and lay a framework for what the Apostle Peter is going to be talking about in the rest of the, his letter that he wrote to the believers who were scattered in different places around Asia Minor. So let me give us the one thing so you can kind of think about it as we look into this passage and simply this. The gospel must be our foundation as God works on our transformation. But God's going to train you. He's going to work in your heart. Because he, he doesn't, he loves you too much to keep you where you are. He wants you to become more like his son, Jesus Christ. So he's going to do the work of transformation in your life. He's going to use a lot of different things in your life. 
But if you don't have the gospel as the foundation of your life, this is where I think many of us are going to struggle. So I want to kind of tease that out as we think about how the gospel must be our foundation as God's, as God works on our transformation. Let me talk about two things that we have to realize about the gospel. Because that has to be the foundation before we do anything. And the two things are simply this. Let me cover the first one. The first one is the gospel. What you have to understand is that the gospel provides hope. As we start off with the first two verses, we get this glimpse of the background in which this letter was written. And here's Apostle Peter writing this letter. And I'm going to go ahead and read the first two verses. And if you want to read along with me, this, this is what it says. I'm going to read it from the ESV. It says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let me, let me just pause here and cover these two verses as I talk about how the gospel provides hope. It's helpful to know some background so that you understand why is he writing this? Why is he saying the things that he's saying? Is that this letter was written during a time of persecution. And so if you know anything about church history, you realize persecution is not just like someone says, oh, you're a Christian, oh, you stink, you're a loser. It's not that. If you understand the church history, you realize that persecution was under Nero, one of the worst emperors who hated Christians. He would gather the Christians and put them in the amphitheater and burn them alive. When he found out that certain people were Christians, he gave commands to literally kill them on the spot. Or he would use it as personal entertainment during the gladiator games. So this was happening and the thing is that in this midst of this persecution, Peter is trying to remind the people of Asia Minor. Now, Asia Minor in that area is the modern-day Turkey. So it gives you at least a little idea of where that is. And he's trying to encourage them to persevere in your faith. Now, most scholars would say that it was during the time of, like I said, Nero in about 64 AD. And he, as he began to uh, persecute the Christians and... The church history, the tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down as he went to Rome and he became a martyr for Jesus Christ. Now, can you imagine trying to be a Christian during this time? I think it would have been easy. And I'm going to put myself in this. I think it would have been easy with everything that's happening to deny your faith. Because that's the best way that you keep yourself safe. You won't die. It would have been so easy to deny your faith. And that's what a lot of people were doing at this time. Is it really worth following Jesus? Is it really worth continuing to meet like this together? And that's why Peter wanted to write this letter to encourage the believers to stay steadfast in their faith as they look to Christ as their example. So the question is this, how does the gospel provide hope well there are a few things that we see here in verse one and two and then i'm also going to read verse three to five and help kind of lay that out of how the gospel provides hope the first thing that we see is this we see the work of god we see the work of god 
in verse 1 and 2, as I've just read, we notice that we are God's elect. And it is God's foreknowledge that put things into motion. And it's God who sanctifies us, which means to make us holy, through His Spirit. So what He starts off with is everything that you know that you've been elected by God, you have been chosen by God, that God is working in you to make you more like Jesus Christ, to sanctify you. He already has foreknowledge, not only like knowing ahead of time, but His mind was set on you even before you were born in your mother's womb. So He's building this up to help us to understand that do not forget that salvation that comes through the gospel, understand, hearing and understanding, this salvation is really not your work, my work, but it's the work of God. In His sovereignty, He chose us unconditionally. In His sovereignty, what He did was He predestined us. He planned it out ahead of time. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, Apostle Paul in the message translation says this, and I don't know if you guys have been doing this, but I hope none of you forget. I forgot, but when it is in the yellow, you read it out loud with me. Even behind the mask, all right? Even if it's muffled, just say it with some conviction. Here we go. Long before he laid down earth's foundation, he had us in mind and settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Like he is zeroing in on us. You did not seek after God. Even if you had a desire to know who God, that was God putting that desire in you. Because we were completely depraved, dead to our sins. There was nothing that we can do, but God somehow awakened us and He drew us, brought, brought the right people into your life. When I think about my life, I'm, there is no way, knowing the kind of background that I grew up in with my family that we're not Christians, we're ancestral worship or Buddhist at best. The God in His sovereignty brought us from Korea to America. We could have been in Idaho, I don't know, Montana somewhere, but brought us to Chicago. And the things that I went through and all this, I wasn't even seeking after God, but God knew and He brought these things about. That's why I am that much more certain that there is nothing that I've done to earn or to merit this gospel. It is all Jesus Christ. You have to understand that it is God's work. He's working in you. That's why even you being here in Hong Kong, there's a purpose and a reason. I don't know about you, but for me, it gives me a great sense of security. Also, it should cause us to focus less on ourselves and more on God because we see that it's, it's God who's working. It's His work. The second thing as we think about this gospel, how it provides hope, is that not only do we see the work of God, but we see the worth of our faith. Look at verse 3 to 5. Listen to what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Now, what you have to understand is that you note here that this work of God, which caused us to be born again, right? We cannot get born again by ourselves. That is the work of God that caused us to be born again. We died to ourselves, been raised up in Christ. That's what it means to be born again. It is from being born again is where our source of hope comes from. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but it says a living hope. Everyone say living hope. Why is this important? Because the living hope is because Jesus is alive. Come on, can I get a good amen to that? It's not a dead hope. It's not a possibility of hope. He rose from the dead. He's alive. And therefore, the hope that we have is a living hope. Because he conquered death and the grave through his resurrection. That's why Peter mentions a living hope. He also mentions this inheritance, which refers to the salvation. We have inherited the salvation given to us. And it's something that's permanent. Look at the three words that he uses to describe the salvation, this inheritance. He talks about it being imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Those are very important words when you read this because you realize even this idea of being undefiled, it means it won't spoil. It's not going to cheapen in any way. Uh, those of you who might not know, like when I was back in the States, uh, Michigan is very cold. Like for some of you are like, it's so cold here. I'm like, this is like nothing. We're talking about negative the wind and things, and also being from Chicago called the Windy City, it gets cold. So I had this one jacket, and it's, it's one of my favorite jackets. It's, it's a winter jacket that I have. Uh, I went skiing with it and just all that stuff. It's a jacket that I really like. And then recently I wore it because I was I, I made a miscalculation prior, and I realized that if I'm going to climb a mountain, the tallest one, I need to put on my jacket. So... I pulled it out because I haven't worn it for a while. I pulled out this jacket, and the next thing I know is that all my zippers, uh, because it's sealed so that it's waterproof, windproof, and all that, it started coming out. So there were holes, gaping holes all over my jacket. Now, I'm like, no, because this was a pretty expensive jacket. I'm like, no. So here I am looking at on the internet, how do I get this thing fixed? How do I make them pay for it, not me? Because they were supposed to say this is one of the best quality jackets, but I'm going to figure out all the stuff. And then finally, once I contacted them, they contacted me back. And they said, well, uh, you know, pictures are worth a thousand words. So I was taking all these pictures. You, see, you know, I was taking all these pictures and I sent it over. And then finally, they said, okay, then send it in and then we will fix it. And I was thinking, great. But then I realized I have to send it to the United States. And then from the United States, they're going to send it to Canada. So I said, is there any way that we could do it here somewhere? And so there was, so I'm corresponding. Why am I sharing the story? Because they said, how long have you had this jacket? I go, I don't know. And I did at least some math and I realized I know that I had it before I came to Hong Kong. So that's more than five years. So eight, maybe 10. And then I realized when I looked at the website, they did not have this jacket. So it must have been at least 13 to maybe 15 years. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Thank God I'm not a teenager because I would have grown out of that jacket. 
this is one of my favorite jackets. But I realized it started becoming defiled, <laughs> perishable, <laughs> wasting away. And I was like, this stinks. And I realized there is nothing in this world that will last forever. No matter how great of a quality that merchandise is, no matter how much you take care of something, everything will fade away. And that is what Peter is trying to remind these believers, that you are just an exile. You're sojourners in this world, and everything in this world will fade away. But your salvation, your inheritance that you receive, it is imperishable, undefiled, and it will not fade away. He then says, it's kept for you in heaven and guarded by God's power. It's talking about God's possession of it because it is firm and secure. The word guarded can be translated as shielded or protected. And this word is used in the context of military, of garrison, soldiers guarding the city. That's what he's saying. This salvation, no one's going to be able to take it away. That's why we can have this kind of hope even though we're facing trials and hardships and persecution in our lives. Knowing that God is going to guard our salvation, preserve us to the end. I don't know about you, but this is one of the doctrines called the perseverance of the saints. That if you are genuinely a believer in Jesus Christ, even if you fall away, God in his love will pursue after you. And he will bring you back. No matter what we go through, Sometimes I don't know about you, but I feel like what the Bible talks about, jars of clay. But we carry this indestructible hope in these jars of clay. Because this hope that we have is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Let me, let me skip over this verse. I mean, you could just put it up there really quickly. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 18. It just talks about how we can be Actually, let's read it. I think this is important. Let, let's read it together. And I specifically emphasize these two words throughout. And I want you to read it when it shows up in the yellow. It says this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe in and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For if it's all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look 
not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What a great reminder for us that our hope that we have, which is based on the gospel, will never fade away. This is what allows us to go through anything in our lives and trusting in Him that He will work in our lives. How about us this morning? Do you really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ? What He has done for you? Where do you place your hope? Is it in God or in other things? I'm even wondering if you have this great sense of security in your life, knowing that God is protecting you. Let me just kind of bring to the last point because we need to tie it in together. So once again, this idea of the gospel being our foundation because God's going to do the work of transformation in us. So we need to understand that this gospel is a thing that provides hope. No one else can, nothing else can. The thing that I want to close out with is this idea of the gospel, how it produces humility. Now, you got to look at these last, some verses to actually understand what it is that Peter is trying to say. Uh, I don't know how many of you have ever been, like, tested. Or I, I'm wondering how many of you enjoyed being tested. I, that's the last thing. But one of the things that I've realized is that you might not like it as you're going through it, but when you come out of it, you realize, wow, that was so good for me. Because then you begin to realize what you're made out of then you begin to realize like, oh, I thought I was strong, but I'm really not. Or I thought I couldn't do it, but God helped me and I was able to accomplish it. So when you come out of that testing, you come out of that trial, something about that experience causes you to kind of look at it a whole different way. Now, as I mentioned earlier, one of the goals that I've set during my sabbatical was that I was going to go on 10 hikes in two months. I don't know why I came up with that number. Uh, if I did the math, I should have just said eight and I should go once a week or maybe four, do it every other week. But I, I was just like that. I, maybe I didn't pray enough. I just said 10, 10 books and 10 hikes. So I went on 10 hikes. Now, I'm not going to have time to show all of it, but here, here's some, some of the pictures that I, I posted up. On, uh, so I started off with the easiest one. I think this one was uh, the, what do they call that? The walk in the something in, in the, Say again? Yeah, it's somewhere in Country Park. You, you, you could tell, right? Oh, Uncle Chan, okay? So anyway, so it was, it, was, it was easy. So I'm like, I can do this. But like, like I said, I'm not going to spend too much. But it gradually started getting harder because the mountains started getting bigger. And so then I started calculating. I realized the toughest mountain, if I do the whole trail, it is... The lot, can, can you just, yeah, just driving back. I went to the waterfall thing, tie, pull, tie, line, rock. Castle Peak. This one. The mother of them all. That's what they should call it. Time motion. My Lord. 957 meters straight up. Now, going up that, it's not too bad. But it's coming down from the other side. I thought I was going to die. Literally, you know, when your legs get really tight, it becomes like jelly leg. So there, there are like rocks all over. So as soon as you step in the door, you go, whoa. And I'm like, whoa. Like I was dying. Because that one is about a five-hour hike. 
And I, I just I just texted out some of the guys and my wife and my family. I'm like, I'm going hiking because you just never know. I'm, I'm going hiking. And if you don't see me in about five hours, then call, call the cops, you know. But it was interesting because when I went on these hikes, it really started testing me. Because no one was with me. So I could have been like, you know, yeah, this is a nice mountain. Go a little bit and come back. I climbed it. So I had to think, like, no one's watching me. No one's there. But am I going to do this? And there were a couple times I wanted to quit. There's this one mountain, I, this one hike. They said 1,000 stairs or steps, right? Is that what it's called? 1,000 steps. You have to climb these steps. And it was funny because on the, uh, the steps, they had, someone wrote in the chalk, like, 400, 500. So it kind of helped, but also it didn't help you. Like, <gasps> that much more? And it kept on going. And then I saw the 1,000 mark. But there was still more. <laughs> so I told these guys, they lied. <laughs> you know, they lied. I would say technically it was about 1,200 steps. And I was dying in this whole process. And I realized what it did was it tested me. And I realized testing is not a bad thing. It's good. Because once you come out of it and you realize I was able to do it as I depended on God, as I was determined in my mind, that there's a sense of accomplishment. Now, the thing about this is that when you look at what Peter's trying to say, he mentions this hope, a living hope, that comes from the gospel because of the salvation, this inheritance that's imperishable, that's unfading and undefiled. The important thing now is he says about the testing. Let me quickly read verse 6 through 7. Listen to what it says. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word this is referring back to salvation. So when Peter was talking about in verse 5 about this inheritance and the salvation, now in verse 6 he's talking about that. And he says now the trials and the importance of your faith being tested. There's just several things that I, I want to talk about testing so that you have a, at least a framework. What Peter mentions is very important to understand about testing. The first thing is this. There is a duration. Everyone say duration. duration. There is a duration of the testing, which simply means it's not going to go on forever. That's why Peter says what? For a little while. It's a duration of time. Therefore, it seems like there's a clear purpose, listen to me, and a framework in which this testing will happen. And those of you who understand you've been walking with the Lord for some time, what you have to be able to at least agree upon, if you, if you know, if you did some reflection, a lot of times testing prepares us for something or it addresses something in our lives. Can I get a good amen to that? Think about your life. Whenever, whenever you have gone through a time of testing, a lot of times it's because he's trying to prepare you for something in the future. 
because he already knows what it's going to take to do this or be there. That's why he's shaping you and molding you and working on you right now for a little while so that you can get there. Sometimes you're not going to be getting there because there's all this stuff in your life. And because God loves you too much to just leave you there, you know what he's doing? He is testing you. Yeah, you made that commitment at that retreat. Did you really mean it? Yeah, you're doing all this stuff in front of people so they can acknowledge you, but deep in your heart, are you devoted to Christ or are you devoted to man's applause? So sometimes he wants to address an issue in your life. And if you're like me, some of you are probably thinking, oh my goodness, like this is too great of a burden to bury, uh, carry. And you just seem almost as if you're just being overwhelmed. But it's for a little while, a duration of time, because he knows exactly how much pressure he needs to put on you so that you will let go of control, so you will be broken and you will humble yourself. Here, quickly, the next thing is this. Not only the duration of the testing that you see in verse 6 through 7, as we just read, but there is a diversification of testing. It says what? The trials and testing comes in what? Various forms. There is no one way he's testing you. It's varied. It's diversified. And oftentimes, if you know God's heart, it is tailor-made for you. Those of you who ever got a tailored suit or a tailored dress, you know that it's tailored for you. If someone else tries to try it on, it ain't going to fit. Like God knows you so well, He tailor makes this testing, this trial for you. Some of you struggle with letting go of control, surrendering, whether your parents, your grades, your future, maybe even marriage, whatever it is, He knows you. The thing that you ponder upon, the things that you struggle with, He knows you. That's why your trial is completely different from my trial. And the things that I have to go through, it's good for me, but it might not be good for you. So not only the duration, it's going to be for a little while, but it's going to be trials of various forms. And the Jewish people knew that whenever they were tested all throughout their history, God always used suffering and hardships to discipline them so they could repent and turn around. I'm just wondering if some of you are going through some stuff right now with your family and other areas of your life and God is just waiting, waiting so that you will humble yourself and you realize, God, I need you. Lastly, something else that you see in verse seven, 6 and 7 is this. Not only the duration of our testing, the diversification of testing, but there is a development from our testing. In verse 7, it will show the genuineness of our faith as it gets tested through the fire. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 3. Read that last section with me. It says this, Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. That is what He's trying to get at in our lives, is our hearts. Not behavior modification, not trying to do all the right things and look good in front of other people, but He is testing your heart. You say you love Him, 
Do you mean it? So he will bring something that will challenge your devotion and your love. Because if you love him and he is everything to you, then you got to be willing to go through that and surrender. And the result will be praise and glory and honor of Jesus. And that's why in the same way in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 2 and 4, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come our way, consider an opportunity of great joy. For you know that your, when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Man, don't you wish we can get to that point where perfect means mature. If you study this in the original language, mature and complete and needing nothing. Huh, don't raise your hand because you're going to make, make you look like a fool. How many of you know some really needy people? Oh, Lord, have mercy. You know what I'm talking about? Just those needy people? Like it drains the living daylights out of you. Sometimes when you see them, you're like, okay, let's go. Because they, they, they always need something. But when you get tested and your heart is being tested and you're growing and developing and guess what? Then you will need, you will be lacking nothing because Jesus is your all in all. I don't have time to finish off the last section, but let me just summarize for you. Pretty much what he's saying in verse 8 through 12, if you just peruse through with me, this is so this, this is where I can counsel people through this in verse 8. Look, look, look what it says. At least just read verse 8, 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you what? Love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining to the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. What he's simply saying is this. Even though we're not able to see God, when you still love him by faith because you're getting tested, do you really love him? Then when you are able to say, yes, God, I still love you, even though I don't see you working, even though I don't see all the stuff, even though I'm still struggling with this and that, but I love you. I love you, God. That's when you start having joy. Same with some of you who are serving. Some of you who just come out to life groups. After, whenever you feel like, oh, this is a chore, or I just have to do this. Then bottom line, when you did something to love God and love people, now you're doing it for yourself. Maybe they're not recognizing you as much. Maybe you're not getting the things that you used to get from that. This inexpressible joy, literally what he's saying is, I can't even find words to describe the joy that I have. And the only way I could interpret this as I think about my own life is that when I don't have this joy, it means that I love myself more than I'm loving God. Because it says, if you love Him, even though you don't see Him, you will be filled with this inexpressible joy. So if you're not loving Him, you're loving someone or something, and you're loving yourself, and that sucks the joy out of you. That's why he closes out the verse... 10 through 12 about how it was prophesied long ago from these prophets who will say the Messiah is coming and the salvation is coming. That's why gospel, if you understand it, it produces humility. 
as you go through the testing, it humbles you. Because you realize, God, you're doing something. And I'm trusting in you. Think about your life right now. Think about what's going on in Hong Kong. I have different conversations with different people, but I will say this. There are things going on that none of us have clue about, and I just know God is still in control. Some of you understand that in China, there's been tighter controls. It's been harder to worship. Churches have been have to close down. I think a part of it is because it's one of the biggest economies. They're doing really well. Everything seems to be going. I mean, they just boycott, and then everyone bows out and worships. Okay, we will take that back. I mean, think about everything that happened in this past year. Like anyone who says anything negative about China, they just go, social media, and everyone's like, oh, I'm so sorry. And they all apologize. So they just felt like we are awesome. And here's God. And I'm not saying he caused it because it was a little bad. But anyway, God uses things in this world for his glory. I'm wondering if this is going to humble this great country. That there are some things that no matter how well you govern your whatever and you have this kind of GDP, that every king is in the hands of God like the water. And God is still the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm wondering if this is going to humble even trying to open up doors for us. Think about what's going on here in Hong Kong. Everyone seems so nice and but fast going, you know. But if you step on their toes, because you know it gets all jabbed, they go. I'm like, whoa, whoa, relax. It's a Hong Kong. But now with everything that's going on, you see all the stuff that was underneath surfacing. I think it's good. In fact. We'll see this later on, but one of the things you will notice is that it starts in the house of the Lord. Churches are now slowly waking up. We need to be praying. What, where do we stand? What do we believe? God is humbling us. And as the word of the Lord says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then he will come and heal this land. And that's what we need. We need people who will pray and seek his face. That's why the gospel must be our foundation as God works on our transformation. Can I just give us quick things to just at least think about? Instead of telling you what to do, I want to just kind of frame it in a way that you could at least say, oh, well, how, how can I live that out? The first thing is this. When there's fear, learn to hear God's voice. Like you have to, whenever you're feeling fear in your heart, you got to overcome it as you listen to God. That comes through prayer, that comes through reading the word, that comes through maybe in counsel from other people. God can use people, God can use circumstances, but listen. What is he trying to say to you? Because he might be disciplining you, he might be testing you, he might be challenging you. So listen. The second thing is this. Instead of complaining, start proclaiming. The praises of God. Because oftentimes when we go through stuff, we want to complain. But as we saw here, that where you get your eyes away from yourself and look to Jesus and start proclaiming the praises of Him, 
That, that means spend some time in worship. You don't, you don't always have to sing. You can worship through drawing. You can worship through anything. Start worshiping Him. And then you will help you to see like what I'm going through. There's so many other people who are struggling and suffering. Lastly, be in community so that you don't miss the opportunity to be strengthened. It's times like this, we need each other more than any other time to pray together. Even as Pastor Bo was sharing, they're coming together to pray. They felt refreshed and energized. That's what we need. A lot of times, it's times like that we try to isolate ourselves. But if you come together in community, pray for one another, pray for Hong Kong, pray for the things that are going on, that's when we're going to be able to see that God is up to something bigger than ourselves. Can I just close with this uh, kind of on this theme about songs that are significant with people who have gone through things in their lives? How many of you guys know the song, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus? Do you know that song? We sing it a lot, but I don't think you really know the story behind that song. I want to show you this video that kind of gives you the story behind the song. And I don't know what it is, like some of the greatest insights, some of the greatest songs, some of the greatest things come out of pain. And I'm wondering if this is the reason why God is challenging us as a church to go through what we're going through, but to go through it with humility and this living hope in Christ and Christ alone so that these trials are purifying us, strengthening us, it will come out forth as gold. I am a, I'm a firm believer. I don't know how or when or I just don't know any of those things, but all I know is this. If we persevere and don't just follow the world, but follow what the Bible says and we do and value and standard that Christ has laid for us in Scripture, I believe we're going to see some incredible things in the months and years to come. I just feel that in my spirit. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. But I've seen it from my other friends and other people. Read stories about all this stuff. God, this is how you work. This is what we've seen over and over again. If we can persevere, go through this testing, and still love one another, being unified together, praying for the city, I believe God's going to do some great things. I pray that we will decide to follow Jesus and wherever that will lead us, even through some of the most difficult and most painful things in our lives. Can we watch this? And then afterwards, we're just going to close out here and respond back to God. Let's watch this together. You know, a lot of people say, Pastor Seth, our church is like cultish. Our church is extreme. Our church is like militant. Sometimes I scratch my head, I go, maybe we're reading a different Bible. Because what saddens my heart is I think there's so many Christians in Hong Kong, all over the world, that they look more like the world than Jesus. That's a true story. When I took church history in seminary, I read all these stories of incredible people who laid down their lives. Do you know what the biggest denomination is in China? 
is the Baptists. Because they were the first missionaries who went into China. Some of them laid down their lives. Do you know what the biggest denomination is in Korea? Presbyterians. Because in the late 1800s, a guy named Underwood, he went to Korea, laid down his life. And that's why Korea has one of the largest Christian population. It's changing. The world is changing rapidly, but that's how the gospel went forth. Next to the United States, Korea is the second largest missions movement to send out missionaries all over the world because of that one man's sacrifice. You say you love Hong Kong. But all I see is you love yourself. I pray that you will love lost people more than your own little dream, more than your own little cause. That it will grip you. That you will say, God, even if that means I'm going to have to lay down my life. Yes, I am scared. Yes, I don't know how I'm going to respond, but you will give me the strength. moments like this with a virus and so many other we always think about ourselves which I understand it's, it's normal but if I know that hundreds of people are dying without ever hearing the name of Jesus Christ my question is are you willing to catch it so you can share the gospel I'm not saying to be reckless God has to speak to you all I'm saying is this I will not allow fear to control me Because what I fear more than anything else is standing before God and God's going to say, I gave you all these opportunities. I pray one of these days when we all die, we will all die one day, that when we stand before God, He will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's why the gospel has to be our foundation. And then we allow God to do His work of transformation. He's the only one who can do it. That's why we're going to have this living hope and this heart of humility that comes sometimes through testing and breaking. So that now, whatever comes my way, Lord, it is well with my soul. Because it's all about you anyway. If I can live this life to live for your glory, live for your cause, your mission, then no amount of degrees in your life will matter. No amount of money. I mean, have you been hearing these stories in Wuhan? Some of these wealthiest Chinese people, they're weeping like crazy because money cannot bring back people from the dead. As I said many times before, and I'll say it again, death is the greatest neutralizer of human beings. You could be old or young, rich or poor, famous or a nobody, but it will hit everybody. It neutralizes everybody. And that's when we have to be confronted with the cross. To come to the foot of the cross humbly and say, Lord Jesus, I have sinned against you. And I need you. 
I pray that God will move your heart with this gospel message. That you in your sinful state, in your dead state, depraved state, He came and resuscitated you when He sent His one and only Son so that you could have life. And you are so grateful. Like you are filled with this inexpressible joy that whatever you ask God, whatever you want, I'm yours. My whole life is yours. I pray that we will have that kind of response as we think about this gospel. For some of you who have never made that decision, I want to give you that opportunity to do that today. Some of you have been coming out to church Sundays. Some of you have been going to life group, but you never made that decision. Make that decision today while you have an opportunity. To those of us who are believers, I pray in this coming week and in the weeks to come and however long you have in this world, that this gospel will motivate you in everything that you do. You get up in the morning, it will motivate you. Studying, it will motivate you because you have a new purpose and a higher calling. To go to work, even though you might not like it at times, that you realize that is my mission field. That you'll be motivated once again. Let's not allow fear to control us. But let's fear God. And go and do the things that He has called us to do as a church. And that's when I believe with all my heart, we're going to see great things happen for the glory of God. God, I just pray in the name of Jesus for every single one of us. I pray for our hearts more than anything else. So often, Lord, we allow things to grip our hearts more than your love for us and your grace. I just pray, Lord, that we will ponder upon the cross. We will consider the cross and all that you have done for us, that we are so undeserving. You lay down your life. You didn't have to come. You didn't have to do anything for us, but you did. You came in the form of a man, but yet without sin. And you went through the cruel death of crucifixion. Pain so excruciating and unbearable. You died a criminal's death so that we may live. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for accepting us, forgiving us. Setting us free. Giving us this living hope. I just pray that we'll live our lives as people who are sinners, forgiven, loved, accepted, have security in you, so that nothing will hinder us from doing your will. Move our hearts once again. Stir our hearts by your Holy Spirit. May the gospel be our foundation as you do the work of transformation in our lives. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.